Hello, welcome to Mule Mountain Messages, inspiration and exhortation from God's personal letter to us all, the Holy Bible, brought to you from the pulpit of the Community Church of Warren, located at 201 Arizona Street in the Warren District of Historic Bisbee, Arizona. If you're searching for a church home, I would like to personally invite you to come and worship with us Sunday mornings at 1030 and Wednesday evenings for prayer and Bible study at 5.30. We would be excited to have you come and join our family. If you have prayer requests or comments on the sermon, you can email us at communitychurchofwarren at gmail.com. Again, communitychurchofwarren at gmail.com. Or you can send us a card or a letter to P.O. Box 4024, Bisbee, Arizona, 85603. Again, P.O. Box 4024, Bisbee, Arizona, 85603. Thank you for listening and blessings to you all. All right. You know, political season's starting to heat up again. And I don't know if it ever cooled down, but... Um, there's a young son who's talking to his father. He goes, Daddy, do all fairy tales begin with the words once upon a time? The little girl asked, and he said, no. A lot of them begin with the word, if elected, I promise. <laughs> and, you know, I hate to say this. I, how many of you are cat people? Okay, got cat people like cats? couple of you out there? Well, you know, I can't argue with this logic, even though I tend to lean towards dogs. It says cats are smarter than dogs. You can't get eight cats to pull a sled through the snow. (laughs) All right. Well, last uh, week was Pentecost Sunday, and we looked at that uh, fulfillment of the promise of the coming of the Holy Spirit. Jesus in John chapter 16 told us that when he would depart, when he departed, he would send the helper and that the helper, who's the Holy Spirit, would convict the world of sin, righteousness and judgment. And that the spirit of truth and other name for the Holy Spirit, would guide us believers into all truth. All of that happened and began during Pentecost. And that Pentecost with the coming of the Holy Spirit marked the beginning of the Christian church. And we also looked at how this coming of the Holy Spirit immediately transformed the believers of the day. They were waiting in the upper room. And you guys remember the story. They heard this mighty rushing wind and then this fire it looked like fire that was setting upon them and they began to speak in other languages and it was at Pentecost and so there was a lot of Jewish people from all over the Roman world there in Jerusalem celebrating and as it must have been quite a noise because people as they came by they heard their native or their heart language being spoken out of the upper room and they could understand what was being said. 
And so they were amazed. And they were like, well, who are these people? Aren't these like Galileans? Aren't these the hicks from the sticks out there? You know, and, uh, and how do they know? How do they know my language? And, and yet they were speaking in a language they could understand. And then, and then Peter comes out. And he was transformed probably most of all. Remember Peter not too long ago, a little over 40 days ago, was denying Christ three times. And now he's coming out and with the power of the Holy Spirit, he preaches this amazing evangelistic sermon resulting in thousands of people giving their hearts to Christ and coming into the church. And there was thousands more that came into the church after that. It was an amazing time. It was an amazing experience. And then we also look back in our passage and we saw that it's after his time of testing in the wilderness, Jesus came back, returned to the area in Galilee, and he was, it says, with the power of the Holy Spirit. And we were reminded, and I'm kind of going a little length in this, but we were reminded that just as Jesus walked in the power of the Spirit and the early believers walked in the Spirit, we are also told that we should walk in the Spirit, right? Paul tells us in Galatians to walk in the Spirit. And if we walk in the Spirit, there's the promise that we will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. And as we are often wont to do as believers, we say things, but we don't really explain things. And so we can say walk in the spirit, but what does that mean? What, how do we do that, right? I mean, what does that look like? And like with everything else, we look to Jesus to be our example, to be our guide. In our scripture passage today, we saw that Jesus was reading out of the book of Isaiah. So at the risk of being Captain Obvious here, Jesus knew the word of God. He had spent his life studying the word of God. So walking in the spirit, part of that is knowing God's word. Second Timothy says, show, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Study to show ourselves approved to God. Psalm 119 tells us that your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. And then again, back in 2 Timothy, it says, All scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So we need to be in and studying and know God's word. That's part of walking in the spirit. Additionally, what else did Jesus do? Well, he spent a lot of time in prayer. Matthew 14 tells us that Jesus would send his disciples away and he would go alone to pray. He would get up early to pray. But it's also interesting in studying this, 
Jesus expects us to pray. There are several times where Jesus says, when you pray, or therefore pray like this. So prayer is important. Talking to God is important in our walking in the Spirit. So we have knowing God's Word. We have praying. But we also have obedience. Jesus says in John 6, 36, I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus obeyed the will of his Father. And of course, we are to obey God's will and God's word as well. Romans 6, 16 says, Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey, whether the sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? There's a... Actually, I don't know where he is with the Lord today, but when he was in his believer stage, he, he was used pretty mightily of God, and that's Bob Dylan. I won't quite say he's a theologian, but he wrote some powerful words. And as that Bob Dylan song that he wrote, he said, you might be a rock and roll addict prancing the stage. You might have drugs at your command, women in a cage. You may be a businessman or some high degree thief. They may call you doctor or they may call you chief. But you're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, you're going to have to serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. And that's what that scripture here is saying. Are you going to obey sin? which leads to death, or are you going to obey righteousness, Christ, which leads to life? So we have praying, studying God's word. We have obedience, all part of walking in the spirit. But there's also one other thing that we need to do that Jesus didn't have to do. And that is confessing and repenting from sin. Bible's clear. We all have sinned. We all choose to sin at times. That sin separates us from God. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. Isaiah 59 tells us that our iniquities have separated us from God. But 1 John 1.9 makes it clear that if we confess our sins, God will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So confession and repentance are important in walking in the spirit, praying, knowing God's word and obedience. All of these factor into walking in the spirit. And then I would remind you that when we walk in the spirit, there is that fruit, right? That benefit of walking in the spirit, love, joy, peace, Long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. All of which leads into what? Hope for tomorrow, right? I mean, the world wants that. They want it. They're looking for it. But I don't want to 
I don't want to have a sermon full of song lyrics, but you know, there is that country song about looking for love in all the wrong places, right? Well, that's the world. We go to Christ, walk in the spirit, and we won't fulfill the lusts of the flesh, but we'll have the fruit of the spirit. Now, I know that was kind of a lengthy recap of last week, but I felt it important to kind of uh, emphasize that. So as we pick up from where we left off, Jesus, after his time in the wilderness, returned to Galilee, it says, in the power of the Spirit. We just looked at all that. And he began teaching in the synagogues. And wherever he went, he was praised and he was honored and he was respected by everyone who heard him speak. And it's interesting to note that in Jesus, when announcing who he was announcing his earthly ministry. Where did he go? He went to church. He went to church. And even though the synagogues that were led by Pharisees and scribes, they weren't at this point great spiritual centers, there were still faithful people there. And it was the system, if you will, how God had set up to get his word to the people. And Jesus honored that. He honored that. And he went to the synagogues to preach. And we remember, we always need to remember, that no church is perfect. And there's always things that can be done better. But with Jesus' example, we need to be very careful. And and I know I'm kind of preaching to the choir here, but but I think we all know people who have decided that, eh, I don't need church. I don't don't need to go to church. But we need to be careful about dismissing corporate worship or church. We need to encourage other believers, we know, to be part of a church body. Because really, if it was good enough for Jesus, and he did it, he's our guide, it should be good enough for us, right? My great friend, J.C. Ryle, puts it this way. He says, we need not doubt that there is a practical lesson for us in this part of our Lord's conduct. He would have us know that we are not lightly to forsake any assembly of worshipers which professes to respect the name, the day, and the book of God. There are many things in such an assembly which might be done better There may be a deficiency of fullness, clearness, and distinctiveness in doctrine preached. There may be a lack of unction or devoutness in the manner in which the worship is conducted. But so long as no positive error is taught, and there is no choice between worshiping with such an assembly and having no public worship at all, it befits a Christian to think much before he stays away. If there are but two or three in the congregation who meet in the name of Jesus, there is a special blessing promised. But there is no like blessing promised to him who tarries alone at home. Okay, so we need to think about that. We need to encourage those that we that we know that are are staying away, that are believers, that hey, they're missing out on a blessing. They're missing out on a blessing. 
Well, Jesus enjoyed success until he got to his hometown. He came to the synagogue. He stood up to read. He read from Isaiah. And here, here's another little rabbit trail. But it says, now, uh, I just want to say that Jesus believed in the Old Testament. I know it sounds silly to say it. And again, it seems obvious. But there is an attempt, and not a huge attempt, but there is an attempt out there to minimize the Old Testament. The Old Testament is complementary to the New Testament. The Old Testament explains why the New Testament is necessary. And again, if it was good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for us, right? He believed in the Old Testament. And the passage that Jesus read out of Isaiah foretold of his own ministry. It was he in the passage, it was him that the passage was discussing. And it really gives us insight as to who Jesus was. You know, we do know Jesus and hear about him as God the Son. We hear about him as the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, high and lofty, and that's, and he is. But these titles aren't real personal to us in the sense of we hear them, we believe them, but we really can't relate to them. But Jesus that is described in Isaiah as a friend of the poor in spirit, as a physician who can heal a broken or contrite heart, as one that can deliver the soul that is enslaved to sin. Because we've all gone through that, we can relate to that. We can relate to who Jesus is in that. It makes Jesus personal to us. Because we all have been brokenhearted. We've all been weak in spirit. We've all been a slave to sin of some sort or another. And yet Jesus delivers us from that all, from all of that. And he can deliver you. If anybody's struggling with that, if you desire it, he can deliver you. You give your heart to him. So Jesus used this verse to reveal to the people who he was. Well, the good folks at the first synagogue of Nazareth, they heard Jesus share this. That was funny, by the way. First synagogue, get in there. All right. Anyway, so they heard Jesus share this word. They were impressed and they marveled. They said, wow, isn't this Joseph, Joseph's boy, that, that carpenter's son? They just really couldn't believe. They were amazed that he could be so articulated. Who would have thought it, right? Who would have thunk it? But with all that, their hearts were unchanged. They weren't moved at all by the word of God that Jesus had just shared. 
They had hard hearts. You see, when we hear God's word, honestly, we need to be moved. We need to be touched. It should affect us. It should change us. And if for some reason when you hear God's word and it doesn't change you, then, and I've been there, it's like, okay, then I need to examine myself. What's going on? You know, why, why am I, why, you know, God's word should just penetrate to our soul. Examine ourselves. What's going on? And see, Jesus called out the people in the synagogue there in Nazareth to account for this. And he compared them to a time in the Old Testament where God healed non-Jews who had more faith than the Jews of the time. The old woman who was in that famished, that widow who was in the famine-stricken land. And he provided for her. She wasn't Jewish. Or Naaman, the Syrian general, kind of like the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staffs, the highest military person in the land of Syria who had leprosy. And who was told by a little Jewish captive girl, boy, if you were in Israel, I know someone who could heal you. He used that little, God used that little girl to heal this powerful man. It's a great story. It really is. And he said, they had more faith than you guys do. And they weren't even Jewish. Well, these blunt words kind of made the people mad. And sometimes people do get mad when they're called out in their sin. In fact, the Bible says they were filled with wrath. That's like more than mad. That's really, really mad. So they hustled Jesus out of the city. They were going to teach him, this carpenter boy. They grabbed him. They were going to go throw him off the cliff. But it wasn't his time. So Jesus let him take him to the edge of the cliff. Then he just turned around and walked away and they couldn't stop him. It wasn't his time. That's, that's a, a pretty powerful scene in that show, The Chosen. This, this episode where they had this, it, it's pretty amazing. It is. I never thought about it. You know, I, when I hear about it or when I would read about it, I would think that, well, you know, Jesus kind of disappeared or whatever. But no, he just let him take him and then he just turned around and walked away. And they're like, they couldn't do anything. Well, as we wrap up, it's good to remind ourselves that like Jesus, you know, from time to time, we are going to suffer rejection. People will reject the word of God. But you know what? Because God will never reject us, we can take heart. And really, when we are rejected, we shouldn't respond in anger. But prayer. Pray for those people. I don't know, the other day I just heard someone was just taking the name of the Lord in vain a lot. I was like, man. And I was like, well, you know, I need to pray. Not get angry. 
And you know what, Jesus, we're also reminded here that Jesus isn't interested in people being religious, being lukewarm, having hard hearts. What Jesus desires are followers who are walking in the power of the Spirit and enjoying, yes, Jesus wants us to enjoy the fruits of the Spirit. And living a fulfilled life for and by and through Jesus himself. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that you love us so much. That you desire us to have that fruit of the Spirit. You desire us to live and to have peace and joy. You desire us to live a fulfilled life. Father, you... We know that people will reject us because they rejected you. But Father, we respond with enough love to pray for them. Father, we don't have to curse them. They're already cursed until they come to you. But Father, we know that we can give them the answer. That hope for tomorrow is you. That hope for all these young people who are committing suicide, who are uh, dying of drug and alcohol and dying in car crashes and dying through guns. Lord, we lift them to you. May they find you. Use us, Lord. Use us. Give us a boldness to share you with those who need to hear. So, Father, we thank you. And we praise you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. To him who is able to keep you from falling and present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. Now go in peace to love and serve the Lord. In the name of Christ, amen.